as we jump in, uh, do, because what we're talking about is taking a test drive. Uh, check it out. Find the ministry that God has called you to, because what we're about is serving. You know, this church is awesome. It takes 80 to 120 people every Sunday morning for all the serving that we have to do here. And it's amazing to watch that list continue to grow. It grows in two ways. That list will grow in a way that that we need more help, but it also grows in more opportunity as more ministries and the expansion of the church continues to happen. So way to go. Thank you. Thank you. I can never say thank you enough. It's It's been a great, great run over the last 10, 11 years here at, at Harvest Connection, and it's such a blessing to get to be one of your pastors. As we go in today, uh, just want to say a couple of other thank yous. Thank those of you who participated in OCC, Operation Christmas Child. Thanks to you, Miss Dana, and all that you helped with and did there for us in that ministry, as, as well as the Bullards and, and all that they've done, and you guys pulling us together as a church to, to offer ourselves in that ministry. Great job, you guys, and thank you so much. You know, I hope that most of you had a, let me say it this way, my prayer would be that y'all are coming back from a great Thanksgiving. Amen. You had a lot of turkey show up that you called family. Huh? And, 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 I, and I hope that, that my, my prayer, I guess, guess, would be is that you're not so tranquil and copacetic this morning that you don't hear the message that goes forth that I have for you today. You know, here's the truth. Today, two years ago, we started a capital campaign. And it looked like a great time to do it. A year later, we ran right smack dab into this thing known as COVID-19 in 2020. And it's miraculous what, what God has done even through that. In two years, we had already met our pledge goal amount, which was amazing. Now, we haven't met our, our actual goal. Let me just say the pledges that were turned in, we've, we've met that already at two years into the capital campaign. We're starting kind of a reintroduction of that today for the last year of it because we have so many of you online that, that are with us now that are giving and, and watching us from states like Arizona, uh, Colorado, California, uh, all over the place now. So we're opening up that opportunity. I would say it this way. We're calling this, this reopening, if you will, taking root, that, that the depth of a congregation should be about kingdom business. And in order for it to be about kingdom business, we've got to have roots that are deep. James is a great book to study along with taking root because what he understands is that faith ought to have legs to it. Faith ought to walk it out. We are called to be givers, not just financially, givers of our time, givers of our energy, givers of our effort, givers back to the kingdom through the gift sets that God has given us. And so we're calling this taking root. I would say it this way. Yeah, we're two years into a three-year campaign. We're entering into the fourth quarter, and the fourth quarter is called taking root. It's number four. Let's get there in order to have more influence, more influence for church and more influence for our culture. That's what God has called us to. I also want to thank you this morning because it's the month of Thanksgiving, it's amazing what we've given to, to places like Colorful Closets, which you'll hear about. You'll even see testimonies coming from them. Colorful Closets, we, one of the local ministries 
that we support here, Faith City Mission. You'll see uh, our scholarships that we offer and, and how money goes out for scholarships for those who are going into ministry. Those are local missions, foreign missions you've already heard. CRF, we planted a church through them, and we, we've drilled so many wells over in Africa and provided clean water. And look, we give 10% of what comes into this church goes back out. That's, that's what our elders have determined. That's in our bylaws that we give 10% of everything that comes in. And that sounds great. But let me tell you this, it's far beyond 10%. That doesn't include our benevolence. That doesn't include what comes in and what goes out. That doesn't even include these additional things that, that, you, that we've talked about this morning, neighbors loving neighbors and, and, and the OCC and those types of ministries. It's amazing the depth of this congregation. And I want to say thank you. I, I, I appreciate you so much. And you have taught me what it means to continue to give of your time, your energy, your effort, your resources. This is what James is talking about. He's talking about the depth of your roots will determine your fruit. However deep our roots are, that's going to determine our fruit. Doers are not just hearers. We're calling this the fourth quarter, like I said, taking root. We don't just hear the word. We do it. We live it out in our lives. Last week we heard from James, he said, look, true religion, pure religion is this, to take care of the widows and orphans. And we all know this, at some point in time, you and I were orphans until we met our heavenly father, until someone provided a seat for us to hear the gospel and the gospel rang true in our ears. He goes on in that same statement that he said, he said, keeping oneself unstained by the world. That's a difficult thing today in time not to be stained with what we see going on and happening in our world, our, our world right around us and the world that's round us. I wrote that myself. <laughs> and now I believe it. Uh, it's interesting because Jesus said one of the ways of doing this, of course, now we're talking about James, but we're also talking about Jesus. I, I made reference to this from the very start who James was, that, that James is, he's, he is a pastor, if you will, a preacher. I, I would call him almost an archbishop of the church at Jerusalem. At the time that the book of James was written, you're looking at twenty to 30,000 uh, attending a church, the mother church in Jerusalem. They're planting churches all throughout Asia Minor. And James has this vision, he has this wisdom, and yet at the same time, he walked this earth with his half-brother Jesus. James is known as James the camel because of his camel knees, because he spent so much time on his knees. His knees actually resembled that of a camel. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who had deep roots. And what we know about James is oftentimes in the book of James, he's referring back to the Sermon on the Mount or to different parables that Jesus had spoken about. All throughout the book of James, you can, you can just find how he trickles through Jesus' teaching in his own teaching, which he should. You know, today, we have to ask some tough questions. One of the questions that I asked last week is, what is my purpose? What is God's purpose? Am I living in that purpose, in God's will? Jesus said, I came to hear and do my Father's will. I do nothing except for what I see my Father doing. We've reduced Christianity in America to a simple prayer. And it's not wrong to go to Romans 10.9. I have Romans 10.9 on my buckle this morning. 
You know, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And what's happened with our Christianity is our goal is salvation. Jesus said it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Church, today you're going to have to listen because it's a little tough for me to unpack some things. The original term Christian was really a derogative term that was found in the book of Acts, speaking of those who would follow Jesus, known as those of the way. And so, oh, they're Christians. They're little Christ-like people that follow this, this Jesus and his teachings. Well, that's great, but today we've reduced that down to just a prayer of salvation, which lacks the commitment to go with it. This is why I believe Jesus didn't say it in those terms. He didn't say go into all the world in Matthew 28, 19. He didn't say go into all the world and make, and make Christians. He said go into all the world and make disciples. Because uh, one of them has a conclusion at the end of the prayer and the other one has a beginning. Oh, are y'all with me? You didn't hear that, did you? I didn't. Sometimes it's confusing in how I say it. But I know what I want to say. Lord, just speak through me. Because one of those says, when I say my prayer, I've arrived. The other one says, when you say your prayer, you've just begun. Oh, it's two ways of looking at things. James speaks to us about commitment. Jesus speaks to us about commitment. Today, people tend to choose what is popular over what is right. They want to fit into church and into the culture, and they go to, to and through extremes in order to make that happen. You see, oftentimes a Christian is done with their commitment, where a disciple is being made. As a matter of fact, the word disciple itself is always in a future tense, meaning we're continually growing and moving and hearing the voice of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. James and Jesus, I want you to hear, they put a huge warning to all of us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's Jesus. James would say, hey, you talk to me about faith? Show me your works, I'll show you your faith. Show me that your faith produces something. Show me that your faith has roots. Both James and Jesus speak of roots, depth, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to connect upward, inward, and outward to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we're called connection, is to make disciples through teaching people to connect this way and then connect this way. So important. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 3, starting with verse 13. This is right after he talks about who can tame the tongue. We're not going there this morning. We'll talk about it soon. But if you would please stand, I'm going to be in James chapter 3, verse 13, for the reading of the scripture this morning. Who is wise and understanding among you? Notice he said, who is wise? Who drives the smart car among you this morning? Who is wise and understanding, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. Because the difference between wisdom and knowledge, knowledge is the ability to know. Wisdom is the ability to apply what you know. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. He's saying don't, don't boast about all your ambitious things, right? 
And then he says, he goes on, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You may be seated. It's interesting to me that he ends it with that statement. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Jesus said something about peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they are. Thank you. You made an A for today. The children of God. They hear the voice of their father. They understand following Jesus is learning to hear the voice of the father, that we are no longer orphans. But we have a father, we have our identity, and our identity is in who he is and what he's called us to be in this earth. You know, statistically, only 10% of people who hear a message actually put it into practice. Only 10%. Now, we give some leniency here. I mean, years ago, I preached a message series on the 80-20, right? 80, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. All right, 80% of marriages... Okay, let me say it this way. Those of you who are married, one of you gives at least 80% to the marriage. And the other one, let's keep going. And what we tell people all the time is learn to focus on the 80% instead of the 20, because if you focus on the 20%, you're going to be frustrated. Imagine what James is talking about here because James is saying, hey, who of you is wise? Who is understanding? What do you know? Because you know what you know ought to make you go and, and live this life of wisdom. It ought to have some kind of produce with it. It ought to have roots. We keep, we keep trying to, to change the fruit and expect it to change the tree. What James is saying, no, no, no. When we have roots, it's, that's where it starts and it produces the fruits. And the more depth we have, the better soil we are, the more fruit we'll produce. And instead of 10%, it goes to 20, 30, 40 until God has all of us, not just part of us. You see, so oftentimes, and you're going to see this here in a moment, we want God on our terms. And that's where Jesus really takes us in the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower, I'm going to use Mark chapter 4, if you want to go there with me, let's go to Mark chapter 4, because I can unpack it a little bit quicker here. And let me just kind of fill you in on what's taking place. Jesus is about to give a parable. He's about to tell a story, all right? And he's hoping the people get it. Those who would follow him would get what he's speaking of here. And as he, as he does this, the seed represents the Word. Just think about that, the Word of God. Today, the Word of God is what? The Bible's the Bibles, the Scriptures, the Bible that God has given us. We have the Word of God. And so the seed represents the Word. The soil represents the heart. If you can get those two things in your mind, this will unpack very quickly and it will make a lot of sense to you. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus said, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it. There are some hungry birds out there. These birds showed up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. I've sown wheat that way this year. 
man, it was awesome. Sow all these acres of wheat and get this big rain and pay up. It hasn't rained since. But notice what he says here. Immediately it sprang up. This is Jesus talking about depth, and it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and they, as it grew, it increased. They yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. He who has ears, let him hear, is what he says. And then he kind of scolds his disciples because they ask some questions. He comes back to it in verse 14. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word, that which has been sown. In a similar way, those are the ones, in verse 16, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, and when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm, what? Root. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18, and others are the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones, and those are the ones, verse 20, the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. He who has ears. The reason why Jesus talks about ears is because you remember, Jesus is always listening to his heavenly father, and his goal is to teach us not to be orphans who are not children of God, who can't hear his voice, but to be children of God. He who has ears, the children of God ought to hear this. They ought to see what he's saying here. Now, I'm going to say something that I did not read in the commentary, but I believe it to be true. That the second, third, and fourth types of seed that was sown or the soil that it was sown into are Christians. Now, don't stone me yet. They won't remain Christians. The first one, the first type of seed that was sown, it says immediately the birds came in and took it away. In other words, they didn't have room in their heart in order to even receive, in order to even, even hear. There was nothing there. as They were the ones that fully rejected God. They fully reject God's word. We see this today. We see it playing out where people all day long would say, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. He has no place. He has no right. He has no authority. I don't know why we're in this country and why people still want to adhere to a book that's 2,000 years old. Some of it may be 4,000 years old. Don't, don't give me this. Some of it may be 6,000 years old. I don't want anything to do with that. I believe in science. There's a great movie on that. I believe in science. You, you know, uh, this past week, I got, to, I got to sit with one of our scientists after Bravehearts this morning, a research guy, Texas Tech University. And you know what he said science was? I love this. He said, here's what science is. Science is just discovery of what God has already done. Whew, powerful. And we got to visit some about that. This first group, they're not Christian. They want nothing to do with it. The enemy found a place of influence through the world, and the word never entered their heart. There was no room. 
James talks about this, James 3.15. We just read about it. Wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. It has nothing to do with God. The second group, now this is where I say we start talking about Christians. We could say we start talking about disciples, but there's no discipleship that's going to be allowed to happen here. It's really just, just some that, that receive the word for a time. Verse 16 through 17, they received the word with joy, but the word was sown on rocky or stony ground. The original text says it this way. Now, church, you got to hear this. This is the original text. This is how it was written. And if you don't get this, you're going to miss a big part of what I'm teaching today. Watch this. Pressure arose. This is, this is how it's originally written. Pressure arose to the word, and they became offended with it. See, we, we like to say, well, they received it with joy, but they had no, no root, and so the pressures of this world. In the original text, it's, it's actually written pressures through this word. That, that the word became, became offensive to them. Look. The word offends me, church. Pray for my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. Someone asked me to go with them one mile, go with them two. Look, church, I don't even know that I can make the one today. I know I can't in these boots. That's offensive to me. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You say, well, all of that's a New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament when this, when this was written. What are they talking about? Well, they're talking about how the word offended them through the Old Testament, if you will. The old covenant was offensive. What, I'm not supposed to commit adultery? That offends me. Everybody commits adultery today. Oh, well, well wait a second. I, 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 how could God be a loving God? You see, when somebody comes to Jesus, so oftentimes they come to Jesus because they say, he's a great person. Uh, This ministry, look at what it's doing throughout the world. Look at all these these things that are happening through Jesus' ministry upon this earth. The hungry are being fed. Those who are thirsty are given water. Look at all. I want to be a part of that. And they come into it. They start studying God's word. And they go, how could a loving God save one family known as Noah's family, and destroy the entire earth. How could he be a God of love? I'm not going to believe that part. Oh, well, I don't even understand how if we're supposed to pray for our enemies. Well, the Egyptians were enemies to the Israelites, and God led the Israelites out of slavery, and the Egyptians who would follow would be swallowed up by a sea. What kind of God? That's offensive to me. And what happens, they have no depth. They have no roots. And the pressure arose through the word, and they became offended with the word itself. Now, that's, that's dangerous because John 1 says what? In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. They're offended with Jesus himself when we're offended with the word. The truth that, look, Dr. James Richards said this. He said, the truth that has the most potential to set you free also has the most potential to offend you. There are times the word of God offends me. I have tried to pray for my enemies. (laughs) And I'm offended even in my prayer. God, you know what they said about me and it's not true. But the word obviously offended their belief system. It offended their lifestyle. It still does today, people. And, and James said it this way in James 3.16. He, he, he said, for where you have envy and selfish ambitions, ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. 
Because selfish ambition means it's all about me, myself, and all. And, and I, and God is saying, no, 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 no. Maturity in Christianity, roots and depth will take you to where it's all about them. And that's what we're teaching about today. See, when the word is in opposition to my opinion, it means that I'm wrong and I have two options. I can reject God's word or I can surrender my will, my opinion, and my ways to God. And that's known as repentance. So many Christians live right here. They bounce in and out. They, they start getting a little bit of root, and then they go, I'm out. I'm going to go find another church that doesn't believe the Word of God is the Word of God. The third group, verse 18 and 19, they heard the Word, but their heart was filled with other things, worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. Well, to talk about this third group is pretty easy in American Christianity today. The stains, James called it the stains of this world, that we are, we are to be aware and to keep ourselves from being stained by the world. See, we believe we live in a world where we have rights, where it's all about me. There's some truth in that, and I'm a defender of the Constitution of the United States. I want you to know that. <laughs> and yet, in the same token, I can't let that become my main goal. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Who's that about? Not about you. I'm going to get mine. When I was 18 years old, I read a book, and it was called The Billionaire's Boys Club. Any of you ever heard of it? Okay, none of you. Okay. I, look, I didn't read books at 18, especially in my own will, I, especially at that time of my life. I don't even know how this book found its way into my room. I think my mom snuck it in there. And I started reading it at night. And at the end of that book, I made a list of 10 ways I was going to become a, million, a millionaire by the age of 30. So I had 12 years. And I needed about 30 more. Maybe 40, maybe 50. But I want you to know it was all about me. It was about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, in this group, there's no place for God's Word to grow in their hearts because they're so ambitious towards their own that they can't create a culture for Christ. See, it's what I said earlier. This people is looking for both church and culture. They want it to fit in, and they, go, they want to fit in in both, and they go through extremes in order to do so. This group of people exemplify what Jesus meant when he said, where your treasure is, what you value most, there your heart will be also. You know, I had these, these 10 steps of how I was going to become a millionaire. And let me tell you something. At the age of 36, I was making $36,000 a year. And I was right on the edge of becoming a millionaire. Oh, you laugh. My, my wife laughs. But the truth is I had a partner and we had purchased some land and we had two options on this land. I chose for the second option. He chose for the first option. It doesn't make him wrong. It was just the immediate of how much we can make. Today, that land, had we done the trade, we would both be millionaires. And you know who it would be about? <laughs> the Lord knew what he was doing. He always does. Because this place is a place that has the potential to choke out his word from your life. This place has the potential to remove us from kingdom opportunity. I believe 
that we ought to be ambitious. I believe that we ought to, ought to look to grow ourselves in every area. I believe that we ought to make as much as we can in order to be able to give as much as we can. We provide opportunity, but here's what Jesus is saying. It can be a dangerous thing because wealth has the potential to get you to chase it. Remember what Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. So you either love the one or hate the other. You know, you embrace one and despise the other. And both God and money have the potential to get you to serve them. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the primary point here is, is Jesus is saying these people, they, 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 there's so much potential, there's so much gift. Now, now remember, Jesus doesn't get angry with, with the wealthy. I mean, he even gives a parable about one receiving one talent, one with two, and one with five. But their heart had to be right. right that's, and, and, and here's what happens. So oftentimes we pursue a lifestyle. Let's be honest. <laughs> we want a lifestyle. A certain lifestyle needs to fit my image. I was wearing this jacket, and a man from Arkansas sent me a message and said, where'd you get that jacket? I said, I'll just send you one, right, because it is nice, a little fancy. Got a gold ring on my finger. My mother gave me this when I graduated college, because I think she thought it was a miracle that that even happened. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> But here's the truth. We want our lifestyles. We want our lifestyles so oftentimes, right, to match a certain level. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is, is, can I be Lord of your life? I know one of the most talented men, two of the most talented men I know, wound up giving up everything they had and moving overseas to do missions. The fourth group and the final group, verse 20. The final group received the word in a heart that was not full of the cares of this life. They were caring about what was next for the kingdom of God. They were good soil. You know how I know they were caring about what was next for the kingdom of God? It's because it said they received a produce of 30, 60, 100 fold. Who's that for? It's not for them. It's for God's kingdom. See, why did the word bring forth fruit in them and not others? The most influential soil. Have you ever thought, where's the most influential soil? I want to be good soil, but the truth is I have oftentimes the cares of the world or the stains of the world on me. Where do we see that the stains of the world are not yet? All of us had a time in our life where our second innocence or our first innocence was taken and we needed to be born again into a second and renewed innocence. Who doesn't need that? Everyone needs Jesus. They need to be born again. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is children. Children are the most influential ones we can be around. They're the ones that are watching. They're the ones that are waiting. They're the ones that are making an appeal. Show me, Dad. Show me, Mom. Uh, teach me. Help me to understand. I, I don't know how to do this. The other day, Emma was like, uh, uh, I want to go pick up a friend. She was going to go do something. She said, Dad, would you, would you help me do that? And I was like, yeah, but man, we run your, you kids everywhere. She said, well, give me the car. <laughs> you don't even have a license. But she was willing to drive, right? Why? Because I've been teaching her. I've been showing her. But, but children, 
They, they are wanting to learn. They watch us. I showed a picture three or four years ago of my youngest when she couldn't swim. And, and some of you will remember it. She's underwater and she's like this. And both sisters are underwater next to her. And she has this big smile on her face. And I said, what you don't know about that picture is Hadley doesn't know how to swim yet. But she was smiling underwater. Why? Because her father was in the water with her. And she knew that I wasn't going to let her drown, that one day she would learn to swim. Right? This is the most influential group that we have in this parable of the soils. If we were to break this down, we would find out that between the ages of of really one to five, we have the impression that takes place. But between the ages of five and 15, you have the greatest opportunity to influence the children and to see a return 30, 60, and 100 fold. And it's amazing to me how many won't even test drive because it's through that test drive where you begin to really, really establish roots because you're held at a higher accountable level. Oh, somebody's watching me now. Someone is paying attention. I have the ability to influence. And this one might just have a return in the kingdom, 30, 60, and 100 fold. I need to watch my steps. I need God to order my ways. That's where fruit really has an opportunity to multiply. And this is why we must, as a church, provide a place for the children, for the next generation. Y'all understand how a nation was born. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations because they thought generationally. Now, let me tell you something. What we see in all these soils is that there's another one that has a plan for the seed. Every single one, he wants to attack the seed that is attempting to be sown. And we've got to, got to look because those are the stains of the world that keep trying to creep in and convince us to be something less than what he's called us to be. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes, this is James 3, 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Who, have, who among us has the most pure heart? Children. And then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. All four groups heard the word. All four groups heard the word, but only one group got the word in their heart, and it would bear fruit. My mother always kept a Bible by all of our beds. She would tell us we'd do better if we read it, and rarely did I. We had a tornado coming uh, one night. We lived out on the farm, and uh, it was lightning and thundering, and we had been on the front porch watching the clouds roll, and uh, uh, all of a sudden we find out a tornado hits Tulia, and, and there's, there's these tornadoes that are coming. We go outside, and there's an old cellar that, when I say cellar, it was on an, another old house that was near ours, and uh, we had killed a den of rattlesnakes out of it. it the roof was caving in, and, and Dad said, we're going to that cellar. we got to go. So we started heading out the door, and Mom stopped us and said, every one of you, go get your Bibles. It's by your bed. Take your Bible with you. Ran back, got our Bibles, ran down in the basement. And we're just sitting there, you know, and we say a prayer, and we're standing in water that's probably six inches deep. It was a scary time, but what Mom wanted us to see is the importance of the Word of God and claiming the Word of God for our family. And by the way, the tornado not only came out there, but it lifted. Bless God. I was in North Africa a few years ago. 
The missionary comes and he sits in front of us. He said, we're going into a tribe that's never been visited before. It's the darkest one I've ever been into where most Muslims are at the bottom rung of a ladder. These are at negative five. And so we pray over it. And at the end of the prayer, I've never shared this part of the story, but his daughter who at the time, he had three daughters at the time was probably 11 years old. She said, I'm going. And it shocked me. And he turned to her and he said, you're not going it's far too dangerous. And she said, Dad, isn't that how you raised me? And they argued over the fact whether or not she was going because she said, in her own words, she said, I am called for such a time as this, Dad. There are children among them, and I speak their language. And argued and argued and fussed with her dad, and we, were, we didn't really know which way to go on the whole deal. And I was like, look at this girl. She's braver than I am. And we go there, we go out there for five or six days, and, and the last couple of days we're out there, you know what, that, that little girl showed up. Her dad went back and got her and took her out there. And she had all those kids circled up, speaking in their native tongue, showing them how to play games and telling them that she was there in the name of Jesus. I watched as one of the leaders came over and said, you cannot tell them that. And she said, I can because it's who I am. Out of the mouths of children. As a matter of fact, she went on to argue so much with a leader of a tribe of 2,500 that her dad had to go get her and pull her out of that argument. Speaking in his own native tongue. Look, church, good soil produces great fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. Will you just test drive? Will you learn what it means to have deep roots? What, could we grow to a place where we actually see 30, 60, and 100 fold? You know, I would propose to you not just a building, but buildings. I would propose to you that our dream is far too small in this church. I don't care what buildings look like. I don't care if they have furniture, but what I do care is that they have people. And our influence is called to go into all the world and make disciples. Let me ask a tough question. What soil are you and how deep are your roots? Does the word of God offend or does the word of God bring life and life everlasting? Would you please stand? I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. We have a great opportunity to go before the Lord this morning. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. And we want an opportunity to pray for you, to pray for, for good soil, to pray for the harvest. Jesus reminds us that the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers are few. Not a lot of people want to get in a smart car today. <laughs> I don't, not, not in the literal sense. But I want the wisdom of God. And I want to encourage you, look, some of us need to repent this morning because we've been that second soil. We've been that third soil. Others of us need to rejoice with the Lord and what he's doing and say thank you. Jesus, continue to do a good work in the life of your servants because the greatest among you will be the servant of all. The greatest among us will be it's no longer about me, but it's about providing a place, going into the highways, the byways, the alleyways to the least of these and inviting them in and saying we made a place for you here at the table. We're here for you to pray for anything that you have, but there are some prayers.
that go before us this morning. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your, this, your congregation. Continue to grow us up and grow us deep. Father, we know that the, the greatest high-rises that are built have the deepest foundations. And Father, we're not looking to be great for ourselves. Father, we're looking to build your kingdom. You've called us to come alongside. Let us be faithful and responsible with that that you give. And let us resemble you more each and every day as we walk with you. Our Lord, our Savior, our God, and our Father, we are created in your image. May your image go before us. May others see you in us. In Jesus' name, amen.